This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 1075 FM, unholstered. Finally, we are back. It is time for another episode of Unholstered. I am just one of your hosts. My name is Kayla Blakesley. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sophia Rosales-Gatina. I'm a captain with the Fort Wayne Police Department. Welcome to Unholstered. Uh, Sophia, I can't believe it. We're just like two weeks away from having <laughs> been doing this show for two years, which I feel like time has just flown by. One year ago, the big hot topic of conversation here on Unholstered was constitutional carry. Um, as we all know, because you listen to Unholstered on a regular basis, yes. uh, constitutional <laughs> carry uh, went into law for the state of Indiana July 1, 2022. So here we are about a year and some change later, and we have talked so much about this on the show. If you've missed any previous episodes about it, you can download the Unholstered podcast anywhere you download a podcast. But, Sophia, you and I talked, and we felt like it was really important to revisit this topic. Here we are, one year and some change later. I think it's important to revisit this topic, especially because there's some just misnomers about the law, and I think we need to get that cleared up. Um, and bring in some facts, <laughs> um, take out the emotion, bring in the facts. And I brought two people that we've heard from before. They brought back because these guys are on the streets dealing with this stuff on a daily basis. And I think it's important to hear from those people actually doing the work instead of the people just, just talking. So uh, I'll let these guys introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Detective Mark Deshays. I'm uh, with the Fort Wayne Police Department's Gang and Violent Crime Unit. And Detective Matthew Foote, uh, also with the uh, Gang and Violent Crimes Unit. I kind of want to start simple and work our way through this because you just said it, Sophia, even with this law being in place for a little over a year now, there are still a lot of misconceptions about it. Perhaps some some folks don't even know what constitutional carry is. So I'll start with you two and just kind of give us a refresher. What does it mean to be a constitutional carry state? Constitutional carry states are effectively states in which they are advocating or have laws in place that state that there is no requirements for you to carry a handgun, no permitting process to carry a handgun, that everyone has a constitutional right to carry a handgun, and therefore, as long as you're not a prohibited person by law, you can carry a handgun without any sort of gun permit or background check or anything. Let's talk about that little detail <laughs> about being a, a prohibited person. Sophia said it, uh, we were talking off the air. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, Sophia, but you said something to the effect that people, you hear constitutional carry and all of a sudden people just think slates are wiped clean and anybody can carry a firearm now. It doesn't matter. So can you explain as well what it means to be a prohibited person? The federal government has uh, has defined what the prohibited person is in Indiana typically follows that same guideline of what federally prohibited people are. But it includes such things as prior felonies. Uh, adjudications for mentally defective, if you were dishonorably discharged from the military, uh, illegal aliens, people that have warrants for their arrest. There's lots of categories, domestic batterers that are, have convictions, people that are under felony indictment for a crime. There are a lot of categories that prohibit you from possessing a firearm under this law and prohibit you from possessing a firearm in general. And that, I think, is the important piece to this conversation as well, because Mark, correct me if I'm wrong with you as well. You traveled to the state house here in Indiana to advocate against this, right? I mean, is that fair? Both, both myself and uh, Matt were. Oh, I didn't even realize Matt. You went down too. Okay, you yes. both went yeah, down. Yeah, we were house. sponsored. Uh, we were asked to be the sponsors for and represent uh, both the Fort Wayne Police Department, Allen County, the Sheriff's Department. Quite a bit of we had a quite a big 
pool that we were representing at the state house and uh, we were vocal about uh, our support of the second amendment but our support was leaning that we believe that the gun permitting process is constitutional and supports your second amendment rights as well and it helps prevent firearms from prohibited people. Well, that's kind of what I want to circle back to. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember in previous conversations that we've had about this, getting rid of that permit process, which is essentially kind of what constitutional carry does here, is is kind of leading, again, like Sophia said, people to believe that, oh, I can just carry willy-nilly. Well, now we actually probably have more prohibited persons carrying because we don't have the permit process, and thus they don't know maybe that they've got some something on their record from 15 years ago that prohibits them from carrying, right? Not only that, I think it's not, I, I, I firmly believe that we are much higher rate of prohibited people carrying now. And I think it is because they don't have that understanding. But I also think because we've now taken away that permit process, which was a check for police, prohibited people no longer, they think they can kind of skate around it because they're mm. not going to get checked because now we're constitutionally carrying. So they won't even be asked about it. They can carry uh, kind of with this camouflage of constitutionality around them, and they won't be asked to provide any um, sort of verification. Any that documentation they are. or right, anything correct. like that. So do we have any number? Do we know if more prohibited persons are carrying since CC went into law? Well, we can only we can only expect that, that that's the case. When we went down to the statehouse to, to argue against this, is the process, uh, the hangout permit process is a process that, that worked. It functioned fine. It gave people an opportunity to have a fee, free background check uh, when they applied for a handgun permit. The local uh, agency would do a, a background check, and then it would go to the Indiana State Police, who would either confirm or deny that permit. And uh, now, you know, we have a lot of individuals who don't get that background check because they don't apply for handgun permits, so they have to do that on their own. And, and back when the permit uh, process was uh, not done away with, but when constitutional carry passed, we had uh, approximately 13% of the people that applied for handgun permits didn't know they were prohibited. So That's yes, a big so number. So it's a safe assumption that people are carrying and they really are prohibited persons. Because some of these things can be murky, especially when you get into the domestic adjudications for domestic battery. Um, and then sometimes when you have like protective orders and things like that, sometimes they'll preclude you from carrying mm-hmm. and people don't read the fine print. Um, but if you go through that process, again, you'd find out. And some people, it gets murky, too, with is it was it just an arrest? Was it actual conviction? Um, and some people, I, I don't understand, but they don't know their own stuff. Yeah. And so now you're just asking them to, well, I think so. Okay, well. So, okay, do you is... run into this now? So here we are oh, one year 100%. later. You're pulling someone over. Just let me, this is a scenario here. You're pulling someone over. They have a firearm. They're a prohibited person, not supposed to have it. How, okay, how does that work for you then? What what happens next? Well, I mean, I guess the, when we're talking ignorance, you know, lack of understanding of the law what is what we see. So we might have somebody, We you know, when the law changed, they added some uh, additions to the law, and when they added those additions, it's that's I think another area that people are not clear on. Yeah, so, and I'm like, oh, what additions? Did I miss something? <laughs> but like domestic battery can be a misdemeanor, and when we generally think of prohibiting people for the for handguns, we think of felons mm-hmm. alone. So now we have a misdemeanor that can prohibit you. So someone could have a misdemeanor conviction for domestic battery, and be prohibited from carrying a handgun. And so that that is an addition to that. And we also have some new rules about uh, out-of-state warrants. Someone might have an out-of-state warrant for their arrest. You know, they might have had 
you know, a minor skirt with the law, a misdemeanor in Ohio or Michigan, and they have a warrant that they have never taken care of, and it's still left unsatiated. And now they're in Indiana carrying because they believe that they're they're not a prohibited person, and that misdemeanor warrant prohibits them. And that happens a lot because people leave. We're so nomadic, mm-hmm. and people moving into the state might have, like you said, something they haven't taken care of. But now they're in Indiana, and yeah, that stuff's still showing up here, and it precludes you from carrying. But so, how does that work? You pull someone over, and they have a firearm. I mean, is there? How do you know they're a prohibited person? Then you don't. You don't. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the big. You know, that's a, the biggest thing that changed is now. Uh, the mere appearance of a firearm has no criminal attachment to it. So it beforehand, there could have been a criminal issue going on because you had to carry a handgun with a permit. So we could check for a permit in compliance, that handgun was in compliance with a permit. Now that we're constitutional, it's like a coffee cup mm-hmm. sitting there. There is no you know, legality about possessing a coffee cup now. So unless we have some other indicia that there's a criminal action going on or that that person might be prohibited, then we really are not to check. And that's how it's written. So unless you know that that person you're dealing with is a prior felon, a serious violent felon. And like with the warrants that you're asking, um, how would we know when when we come across a driver and we run your license, we do a check and then through NCIC and it comes back with nationwide. So that's when that warrant would show up. Non-extraditable, sure, but it still precludes you from carrying here, and then that's how you'll get hemmed up. Okay, so then in this next scenario, let's, let's go back to this person. You pull them over. They are a prohibited person. They have a firearm, and you say, hey, you're not supposed to, or whatever it is that you say, and they go, oh, oops, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, <laughs> ignorance of the law is not an excuse for the law. Right? Uh, I mean, you know, everything is situationally dependent and there is latitude within that so sometimes it's the discretion of the courts to decide how they want to deal with that okay. uh, but you know the, it takes into the totality of the circumstances of what's going on first of all usually at that point something else is going on that we're doing a little bit more in-depth checks whether it's you know because there's already something that's led you to believe yeah there's something that's led us down that road yeah. but uh like uh like our captain said, if we're doing a, just a driver's license check, we do check for warrants at the same time. That's a contemporaneous check that goes through our system. So any warrant nationwide is uh, available to be seen. I want to remind folks that you guys don't make the laws. You implement the laws. I think, Sophia, we need a bumper sticker that right. says that for the for any police department. But with that being said, you you also mentioned, Mark, there were other pieces in this law that kind of got incorporated. So how hard or what's it been like over the last year learning this new law, understanding this new law and implementing and enforcing this new law? I think uh, Matt would agree. It's like looking through muddy water. Yeah. You know, the first maybe two months of this, we spent trying to uh, meet with our prosecutor's office, legally uh, examine the law, because it was, in my opinion, it was hastily crafted. And so what happened is it's very murky. It has, it doesn't have very good clarity. It doesn't have very good boundaries. And so there's been a lot of us trying to, you know, carefully move forward with what we should and shouldn't be doing. There's a portion of the law that deals with restraining orders. If you have a restraining order, you can't carry a handgun and you're a prohibited person. There's there's these murky areas that are not clearly defined that that I think will have to go back to uh, the policymaker, to the lawmakers, and they'll have to reclarify them. It created a ton of confusion and, and it was confusing for law enforcement, let alone citizens 
it once again the permitting process did that check for you and and the con i mean the confusion uh, i can't imagine for for people that don't um study the law look into the law you know these are everyday citizens that that the law changes and and they didn't know it or they don't keep up with it this is tough stuff to read that that like mark said that was hastily put together and there's definitely some uh some questions when you say it needs to go back to policymakers how does i mean you, we can all say oh this needs to go back to the drawing board but how do we actually put that in action or how, how does that come about it's going to come about through my opinion through the appeal process through you're going to have some cases that people are going to appeal and you're going to have good legal debate that goes on with defense lawyers saying hey this is not clear this is not well defined there is no mm. bright lines to this and then what's going to happen is as those cases move through you're going to have portions that are either upheld or struck down and then that will recraft the law that'll reach or they'll have to go in there and redefine it with better explanation of what the intent was for that law. Why are you smiling? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> because this is how it's always done. We move so quickly to get something on the books because we're pressed by either money or or policies that people are driving. Hey, you've got to do this or we're not going to reelect you. You know what? Slow it down. There was no immediate reasoning to have this thing like so like had to be done right now let's take our time with this because it's important this is the constitution this is our people we want to make sure we do it right and it just never seems to so go that was that like way. a sarcastic smirk that wasn't it was a, smirk. a sarcastic smirk i can't hide this face well uh, and we want we want it to be clear we for us we still get questions every day at at our level because what our job title is uh it deals a lot with firearms so all the officers will call with questions so that's in the law enforcement side there's still there's still not clarity to this law i mean let alone the person that doesn't deal with it every day having... let alone the other laws that also are implemented every right. july 1st it's yeah. not like this is the only no, law and we've got to know them all and i'll say this matt does a really good job at putting out information for the officers to see his emails come across i read them all th very thoroughly and he just explains things very well in very layman's terms so it's easily understandable but still on top of that, we still have questions. I was actually just going to ask that, Matt. I mean, how how do you educate police officers? On, and not, again, not even just constitutional carry, but just new laws in general. You know, case law drives so much of what we uh, work within. Uh, you know, and it, specifically for this, uh, there was there's a case we we are following the federal prohibited person guidelines for the most part when we come into constitutional carry. There's a case in 2022 that uh, New York State um, Pistol and Rifle Association is called the Bruin case. This case is now uh, challenging a lot of the statute that we are that we put together. So prohibited persons being domestic uh, violence, um, protective orders, persons under indictments, uh, fugitives from justice. These uh, cases are citing the Bruin case. And it's really challenging uh, all the uh, federal guidelines that we have right now. There's over 500 uh, challenges going on wow. right now throughout the country. None in the state of Indiana right now, so far. But these topics are all being challenged. And now that we pretty much follow the federal guidelines, we're going to see a lot of change come uh, over the next few years. You mentioned some of the, the, the murky waters that have come with this new law. And I know one that you and I kind of kept getting tripped up on and trying to figure out when, when there was just talks of this legislation, when it was kind of being written, is traveling to other states across the border. Okay, so we're a, we're a constitutional carry state, 
But what does that mean if you want to travel to Ohio or California or or North Carolina? How, how does that work? So it doesn't work <laughs> unless they're also a constitutional carry state. So if we go from constitutional carry to constitutional carry, then there is no issue. We're so, all good. Right. So pe- persons can travel into Indiana and it's a constitutional carry state and you can carry a handgun inside the boundaries of Indiana. There's no requirement that you're a resident, nothing. It's constitutional carry. However, if you go to a place like Illinois that has heavy regulation on firearms, then you would be in gross violation. There is no constitutional carry in Illinois. You have to have a permitted process. It's highly regulated. You have to have your ID, cards, everything. Now, the permit process, the Indiana handgun license permit process, helped mitigate some of that because what it did is there's a compact of reciprocity where they say, if you have a permit in Indiana, we will uphold that permit in our state as well because we feel that Indiana does a good job of doing a background check that would be the same type of background check we do. So they say, Kayla, if you have a permit in Indiana, then you have a background check in Indiana. We we uphold that background check as being sufficient for you to carry a handgun in our state. And I think it's about 50-50. I think there's like 24 yeah, states, yeah, 23, 20. 24 states that say that with Indiana, that have a reciprocity compact with Indiana and say, if you have an Indiana gun permit, it works in our state as well. So 23 of those states do that. And I don't know what the breakdown is on the states that are constitutional that would add to that. So... But you could go to about half the country with your Indiana permit and be uh, with an Indiana handgun permit and carry in that state. I'd just be curious. I'm sitting here thinking about this. Are are people, Hoosiers specifically, again, you don't need the permit now, but are people still applying for permits? Is that happening? Numbers are way, way down. When, you know, in 2020, 2021, we would see... You know, between five and six thousand people uh, applying for handgun permits. I think those numbers now are in in the hundreds, in, in the low oh, hundreds. Snap! Wow. So, <laughs> because I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, if I if I plan to carry my firearm across the border or whatever, hey, you know what, might be a good idea just to apply for the permit so I can kind of know the rules and guidelines and regulations, right? Like, so really not a bad idea, but. Clearly, there's only a small fraction of people. I think doing that. that I think the latest numbers I saw were somewhere between three to four hundred people a month were applying for permits pre-constitutional carry, and we're down to like fifty to sixty a month now. So twenty percent of what was applying for it or less. And you're right, having a permit is, and you're not required to. Please understand that we support the law the way mm-hmm. it's written. That is our job: is to enforce the laws the way they're written. It's a constitutional carry state. The benefit of a permit is that you can travel out of state in states that honor our permitting process. And it is a per se, meaning that on its face value, if you show it, it shows that you have been checked and you're not a prohibited person off the bat. So would you still recommend? I will tell you that my family all still has their permits and I would not change that. I would recommend that they all Not carry the permit. Yeah, absolutely. My family is as well. And, and it just makes sense because it, you know, we want people to be able to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. We want people to be able to follow law. And, and having the hang-up permit makes it a lot easier to travel with. Yeah, and it's easy to look up on a reciprocity map where you can go, where you can't go. There are certain states you obviously can't go. I think there's probably around 20 of them, like uh, Mark said. But it just makes it easier, and it defines things more clearly. Just be careful. Um and know the law. That just, just plain and simple. Just know the law, and you need to research that as an individual, and know that you do not need 
a permit to have a gun in your home. That is, you know, even with constitutional carry aside, you always have that right as a citizen to be able to protect your home and your place of business as well. You can have a gun in your place of business. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because that was the other thing I wanted to touch on. Just because we have constitutional carry, we still have places you cannot carry a firearm in the state of Indiana. Also, unless you're a prohibited person, I'll say. You still can't have a gun in your house if you're a prohibited person. (laughs) There's still carved out exceptions that fall in their federal facilities, um, fall under their schools. Fairgrounds. Where you cannot Uh, carry. Fairgrounds don't... um, there is an exception on the Fort Wayne side for the Three Rivers Festival. They oh, rent the Headwaters Park, and then be- Headwaters car- Park becomes a private park, and then they can make their own rules for a private park. It's not illegal Could to carry. Could you write this down somewhere for me, Mark? That would be uh, great. We would love to, we would <laughs> love to write to the rules down. But, yes. but, you know, those areas, that's no different than a store owner of a coffee shop saying, I do not want firearms in my coffee shop. It's not illegal to be in there, but he can ask you to leave. So the same thing with Three Rivers. You can be asked to leave if a firearm's noted on your person. Uh, but the other areas, such as schools, it is illegal to carry federal facilities, federal property, post offices, I think, Courthouse. courthouses. Hmm. So there is there is quite a bit of area that you still have to be cognizant of. I, I think the biggest one that would be violated is schools, Yeah, yeah. by far. I also want to point this out, too, and I, and I just know this from working with Sophia now for almost two years doing this show, um, and I don't get some of the rhetoric that's always thrown out there about this. Oh, I've heard a lot of this rhetoric when it comes to constitutional carry. Oh, officers just want their job to be easier, or they just want to know if someone's carrying or not, I, and, which I think is silly, first of all. But second of all, I think it's important to point out, y'all always assume people are carrying, right? I mean, th- this does not change that. Right. We, we didn't. We have no uh, voice on the law. I know there was a lot of voice in the law when they were trying to ki- uh, uphold the permit process mm-hmm. that they kept saying officer safety, officer safety, officer safety. Yeah. And I, I didn't. That wasn't the route that we were espousing at all. Our, but our, boy, they took hold of that one. People didn't they? took hold of that. I mean, our job has an inherent level of danger. We have to assume that that danger exists on uh, on the majority of our, our job. But now that they've changed it to constitutional carry, we're just seeing the impact of that is that, I would say, a tenfold increase in the amount of firearms that we come across legally or illegally possessed on a day-to-day basis. So where we would see maybe one permitted person in a car with a handgun in a group of three or four, now when we pull that same car over, we see three to four to five guns in that same car because of constitutional carry. What does the future look like from here? I mean, I know there's talk. Other states that don't have constitutional carry are talking about constitutional carry. I, I don't know. The, I don't have the number on top of me, but I know probably well over 20 states are constitutional carry states thus far. What does that look like? Do you ever see that being repealed here in Indiana? Do you see more? Boy, states, Indianapolis I mean, is, has try. They they are Indianapolis is grappling with this huge violence, yeah, and terrible. rolling gun violence right now. And they are trying to. They want to make an, a statute to reinforce handgun permitting, which would obviously have to go through the state house. Indianapolis can't make that, but they're making a big push for it. And I think as you see gun violence across the nation. We're going to have to have talks with how do we combat a rise in gun violence with a balance of constitutional uh, constitutional carry. Yeah, that's a whole other topic because I truly believe that that gun violence, that all stems from the heart, not the mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, I firmly believe that we have a we have a problem with culture here. 
um, of culture of violence, and we need to address those things underlying mental illness, emotional issues, fatherless homes, um, neglect, abuse, all these things go into anger, rage, all those emotions that play out in the problems with gun violence. Mm -hmm. And I think we will not get anywhere as a society, because we're a gun culture. This is just what America is, always has been. But we've never seen the level of violence like we've seen lately. And I think that's just, we're coming out of so many things and that are not being addressed on the emotional health level, a mental health level that, that need to be addressed. And that's the only way we're going to combat gun violence. Best advice for Hoosiers then. We are a constitutional carry state for better or for worse. That, Like you just said, that is the law and it, you just have all stated it's your job to enforce it. So best advice for Hoosiers knowing we are a constitutional carry state. I still advocate getting a gun permit. Make sure there's no skeletons in the closet, that you're completely uh, legal and not a prohibited person in any manner. That would be my opinion. And research the law. Make sure you're very cognizant of that, uh, basically, the fly, don't fly zones. Mm -hmm. where, where can you go? What can you do? And the only other thing that I am not a huge fan of is, I, you know, open carry to me. Yeah, we talk think, a lot about that, too. <laughs> I, it, you know, I think yeah. that as a responsible firearm uh, owner, you know, concealed carry, you mm -hmm. know, makes you a much more effective person, whereas open carry makes you a very visible target. So I could not agree more. That, yeah. that, that would be my only. But that is truly from my opinion that has no legal justifications behind it. But that is my opinion. Yeah, this is a piggybacking on what Mark said. I mean, the permitting process is a process that, that, that only makes sense. First of all, the, the permit's free. We're not charging for permits anymore. Uh, the state isn't. It, it offers you a free background check, so you know that you are not prohibited. There are certain uh, other areas within the, uncon or the constitutional carry which still make you uh, uh, prohibited that are not in the permitting process. However, Google it. Yeah. It's Indiana Code 35-47-2-1.5. Google that. That gives you the law. Still not uh, clear. I mean, it's definitely uh, it's definitely muddled. Hey, could you add me to your emails? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is. It, it's, it's something that the permit process definitely makes more clear. Yeah. Well, guys, I appreciate you coming back in and all your hard work. I know it's not been a picnic. I'm sure, and I, like all new laws, I have a hard right. time understanding them, and I read all this stuff all the time, so I I can't even wrap my brain around a lot of it. So yeah, and that's not the only one that came out July exactly. 1st, so. <laughs> and like I, yeah, that's right. just one of several yeah. uh, that came out July first. If you've missed any previous episodes of our conversations about constitutional carry or just any previous episodes of the show, you can always download them anywhere you download a podcast. Just search for Unholstered. Your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 1075 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.